You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Hello, Andre. Well, uh, this podcast came to be under very interesting circumstances by having the wine agent bring the bottles to my kitchen on a night when we were actually recording an episode of this fine program you're about to listen to. Yes, uh, it, it, it did. And he actually got us. Because we, I have to be honest, I don't think either one of us had ever heard of this brand before. And uh, both of us went, uh, well, do we want to taste some premium Australian wine? Sure, I guess. And the, um, and the agent said, I'll bring over a bottle of champagne too. So that was kind of the... <laughs> Let's be honest. That was the that was the hook. That was the tease. Well, and, and I mean, I'll, I'll say like we were really lucky to taste the Shiraz uh, Viognier blend, which is the the halo wine for this winery. But I can still vividly remember what this beautifully balanced, bright, crisp, uh, slightly off dry Riesling tasted like. And I am an Australian Riesling doubter, and I had to shut the fuck up. So people know, obviously, we're going to be talking to somebody from Australia. We're going to be talking to Clonakilla. And here's the interesting part. The guy's name is David Reist, and he's from Ontario originally. Don't let the accent fool you. He is still Canadian at heart, or so he led us to believe. He is. So uh, I guess because it's your favorite word, and I'm going to use it now, Without further ado, here's David Rice from Clonakilla. Thanks for having me on today. And you were ju- you were just here in Canada, obviously, and you are from where again? Yes. Well, I'm, I'm originally from Waterloo, Ontario, just down, down the 401, you guys. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so when you were here, you actually visited, you know, some family, but you also uh, did some wine stuff. Yeah, correct. So we do a bit of exporting from Clonakilla uh, here in New South Wales. And uh, Canada is one of our markets, and that uh, we're slowly building um, into Canada. Uh, it's been a market for quite a few years, um, but uh, just making a little bit more effort to touch base with uh, our customers overseas and uh, get to know the market a bit better. It's a very different situation than what we have here in Australia, and so there's always some interesting twists and turns well, in guess. different markets, especially <laughs> dealing with the LCBO. Yes, is, uh, yes. So. Byzantine to me, but anyway. <laughs> so, very, very interesting. Not many people say that out loud, but uh, thanks, David. We appreciate you saying that. Uh, well, I guess before we get talking into uh, the markets and the way things work, uh, we were actually yeah. lucky enough to get our hands on a couple of bottles here. We have a 2013 Shiraz Viognier, uh, which mm. is actually one that we didn't taste. He just, I think he just went, mm. Did you just go, mm? Yeah, I went, mm. Oh, yes. Lovely yeah. wine. Yeah. And we've also got the uh, 2012 uh, Hilltops Shiraz. Right, okay. So, 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 David, which bottle should we open up first? Well, look, I'd start with the Hilltop Shiraz. Oh, really? Uh, Wouldn't have thought that. Kind of our entry level Shiraz that we make here. And uh, one that really, really do export more than any other wine. Uh, oh, I love when these. Great starting point. I love when these. Uh, uh, the screw caps actually the the interior uh, sticks to the bottle because then you can make it do this. There you go. There we go. It's like a bottle cap. So. <laughs> okay. All right. So now we're gonna. Uh, we were we were just um, doing some lighter wines earlier in the day. So now we are into some. Yeah. Yeah. Heavier wines. Right. And uh, uh, so you are. Uh, you guys are considered a an icon an icon wine. Uh, in Australia, are you not? 
Yeah, well, yes, that's what they seem to say about us. Um, we've certainly produced with the Shiraz Viognier, uh, who's recognized as one of the top Shirazes in the country, and indeed has, has garnered uh, a top international reputation. Um, we've just recently, with that 2013 Shiraz Viognier that you'll open in a few minutes, uh, was on the front cover of the Cantor magazine in January this year. It's one of the 50 star buys in 2013. Yes, Clonakilla is indeed recognized as one of the top Shiraz producers in Australia and uh, has also garnered uh, international reputation as one of the best, uh, one, of the, one of the great red wines really of the, of the nation and um, of the world indeed as we uh, get continually ranked with the Shiraz Viognier, uh, you know, in the top 10, top 20 wines uh, of, the, of the Shiraz class, um, which is quite extraordinary for a small producer just outside the capital here. So. Um, yeah, we're quite thrilled. It's been a wonderful story for us, um, and uh, yeah. Well, so we've got. Yeah. Sorry, I, I know I, I really don't mean to, to interrupt you there, but I know we're going to probably spend quite a bit of time talking about Shiraz and, and Shiraz. Yeah. We got yep. a couple of bottles there, but I just want to take a moment to talk about. Uh, well, hold on. I know what you're going to say. Okay. And and first, <laughs> uh, before we do that. David, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about this wine we're drinking yeah, before that. we get right. into where Andre really wants to go. <laughs> okay, okay. So you've opened the 2012 Hilltop Shiraz, is correct. That correct? Yes, Hill, yep. uh, Hilltops. All right. Yeah. Hilltops. So we make uh, a number of Shirazes here. The Hilltop Shiraz is actually uh, made with fruit that we bring in from another wine region. Uh, the wine region is, is very close to where we are, uh, about an hour and a half northwest of of our vineyards. Uh, that area is slightly warmer than the Camden district. The fruit comes in about three weeks ahead of our own. Uh, the reason that we started sourcing fruit from there uh, is that they have less issues with frost. Uh, we do get frosted here in the Camden district pretty regularly, uh, and we're in that our springtime right now, actually, so it's kind I'll of a nervous in, few months for us. Yeah. Um, so the Hilltops fruits, uh, it's still, that region is still a cool climate region. It still has that lovely wide diurnal temperature range, the difference between the day and the nighttime temperatures. So we're always still producing a lovely medium-bodied Shiraz. And that's what you're tasting right now, the 2012. Now that's going back a few years. Um, it should be developing quite nicely. Those wines usually have a good decade plus in them. Uh, 2012 was a slightly cooler year for us down in the southeast of Australia, uh, coming off a very wet year in 2011, but 2012 uh, warmed up just slightly and not quite as much rain. Um, so they tend to be a little bit more elegant in the 2012s than, say, the current release that we're on to, the 14s and 15s. Yeah, this, um, one, this one seems a little yeah. bit lighter to me. I know when you, yeah. were, you were here, we yeah. tried uh, uh, a more recent vintage. And yes, as yes. you said, this one has a little rainier, a little cooler. So uh, this yeah. one does seem to have, a, as you say, elegance to it, a little bit lighter, yeah. a little bit, a little bit of leanness to it. Um, correct, but, but still correct. nice concentration. Yeah. I mean, it's got a good, but I mean, the concentration—it's it's less fruity and a little bit more like meaty, kind of uh, mm-hmm. a bit smoky on the mid palate. Only thirteen uh, percent alcohol too, which you know is it's very. Yeah. I find that very strange when I see Australian wines in 13. I, yes. wonder, I always go, what the heck happened <laughs> well, that, there? That's right. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show the uh, you know Australian reds, and particularly Shiraz, really has a, a wide range of expression in this country. And I think particularly in our export markets in North America, uh, you know, people tend to 
I think that all Shirazes, you know, come from the very hot areas down in South Australia, and they're all big bruisers and uh, lots of ripe, pruny fruits and, you know, all tannins and, you know, 15, 16, 17% alcohol sometimes. Um, but, you know, we have a wide variety of regional variation in this country, and in the area that we're from, you know, we're elevated. We're 600 meters above sea level. The hilltops is about 450 meters above sea level and inland. So we do have a very different climate structure here that produces quite a different range of, of reds, um, a whole different flavor profile. And even in the hottest of years, those wines still come across as more medium-bodied than full, you know, uh, and always have that savory component. Now, the 2012, of course, would have even, you know, more of that savoriness, which you described, that kind of meaty, maybe a bit more earthy, rather than the ripe, dark fruits that you would kind of typically expect from an Australian Shiraz. Um, so, that yeah, it's, it's quite a different style than what is expected. And before Andre gets into uh, what his big question is, because I, I know... hate that you're just holding me back because it's hanging over my head. I'm, it's, I'm, it's I'm like trembling I'm, with it's like I'm, te- I'm teasing him here. But I just <laughs> I just thought really quickly because I know Andre will go all day after he, he gets into this yeah. question. Is give <laughs> okay. us a little uh, give us a little history of Clonakilla. All right. Well, Clonakilla was founded in 1971 by a man John Kirk, uh, who came over from the UK. Uh, he is Irish uh, by birth and uh, growing up in Ireland, down in the south, County Clare. Uh, he came over here in 1968 to Australia. He's a scientist, and uh, he had a job offered to him here in Canberra at the uh, Commonwealth Laboratories. And the first thing he did when he got here was uh, seek out some land for uh, some fruit planting. So. He, uh, he found a little plot out here in Murrumbateman. Now, Murrumbateman is about a, well, 45 minutes north of Canberra, which is the capital of, of Australia. And uh, he planted the first vines here in 1971. And so, really, he was the pioneer and founder of the Canberra region, as it now stands. Uh, so, quite a visionary person. He had a lot of resistance. People said it was too cold to grow decent fruit here. It would never ripen properly. Um, but he persisted and... Um, and really now, of course, Clonakilla, like I, I mentioned before, has become you know the premier wine producer of this region and uh, of Australia in general. So uh, it was quite a, a visionary exercise. And uh, in about nine, in the 90s, Tim Kirk, his son, um, kind of took over the reins of winemaking, uh, still working very closely with his father. Um, and Tim is the, is the person that really introduced the uh, the Shiraz Viognier, which of course took Clonakilla to the next level um, and, you know, from a kind of a weekend hobby exercise in, in winemaking is now really a, a global player in, in a very small way, of course, we're, we're quite tiny, but, um, you know, to go from, you know, weekend endeavor to uh, exporting to multiple nations and being on first class service in different airlines around the world, it's, it's quite a step and a great, a great success story. And really, um, confirmed John's thought that this is a great area for growing uh, cool climate fruit um, that rivals some of the best of the northern Rome coat rotis. Uh, so it's been an extraordinary uh, story. Okay, so now that you've, you've hit on all those notes, Andre, yeah. you're, you're going to bring up the R word. <laughs> I'm going to bring up the R word, okay. and I mean, it's such a nice segue because in all the questions you've mentioned, the words cool and cool climate yes. and frost and... Um, 
to be perfectly honest, I'm still I had to go grab my notebook just so I could remember vividly how wicked mm-hmm. your Riesling is. And I mean, for most people, I, and I'll be honest, I was just saying I was drinking some Australian Riesling not but two weeks ago, and it was yeah. extremely flabby. Acids had already right. fallen off. I mean, there was good ripeness to it, but there was no backbone mm-hmm. to it. And I'm looking mm. at your Riesling, and it was just so damn good. Bone dry, okay. lots of mineral. So Yeah, it wasn't your Riesling he was talking yeah. about there. And and I was of the of the same opinion because I I always find Australian rieslings and and I I don't know if I'm in the minority and Andre and I mm. are in the minority, but I do also have a problem with Australian rieslings. I I I'm, oh, okay. I'm in the camp with with Andre. And when you brought that over here, I kind of went, oh yeah, great, another Australian riesling. And, and Andre had an actual. I actually said I actually said it out loud at, at the dining table. It's like, oh okay, how good can this be? And then I. I promptly shut up as soon as we tasted the yeah, wines. It was, it was excellent. So your question, Andre, is... Uh, well, I mean, I, I just sort of... You, you've talked a little bit about the difference in, in, in market. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess, long story short, because I'm a little flabbergasted at how good this wine was. Say how, it. How Say you, the words you, you actually told me on the subway. Give me that <laughs> Give me that question that you wanted to, to ask Come on, me. spit I it out. Remember, I can't remember what I It said. was, what the fuck is with your Riesling? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Yes, people express that, not maybe in quite those terms here, but uh, <laughs> look, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear it had an impact on you. That's uh, always very encouraging. Look, uh, this is this is wonderful Riesling country, and as I described our kind of geographical situation here and the climate that that uh, entails, we are elevated. We, you know, we get these even though it gets quite hot, you know, it still gets warm here, very warm in the summers. We can get up to 35 degrees during the summer and during those, even during the ripening season. But it, the temperatures drop right off overnight. So it, it can go down to, you know, 15, 12 degrees, 10 degrees overnight. So, it, you know, underneath 16 degrees Celsius, the fruit stops ripening pretty much. And so, you know, we have this lovely, you know, undulation of ripening during the day, then it just it, it, it eases off overnight, nothing happens overnight, then it slowly heats up again. And so our ripening season is quite lengthy, you know, relative to some of the hotter areas in this country. Um, and that what it tends to do is, is to retain the natural acidity across all varieties, really. And so that's why we're always, you know, across all varieties, really producing these uh, lovely structured wines. You know, acid framework is very important. And, and as you said, you, you know, Flabby wines that indicates, you know, kind of the acid structure isn't right in balance with the fruit ripeness. Uh, and it's so important in winemaking to get that balance between, you know, ripe fruit and, and good acidity, right? We need that, that zip, that zing, that cleansing action on the palate. It, it supports everything else that's going on. Um, so we just get this beautiful natural acidity. And that, for instance, the 2016 vintage, it was quite warm. We had a lengthy, warm period right into March where we're starting to harvest. Um, but even with that, this year, the 2016 Riesling, for instance, still has, you know, it's only about 12% alcohol, and it's still got great acid backbone to it, even in a, in a warm year like this year. Yeah, so it was, it was nice. It's very consistent. And yeah. it was nice and dry, and, and I just yep. remember being very impressed with yeah. your your Rieslings. And and then uh, yeah. you told us the price, which uh, is $35. $35. 
And mm. if you had said to me, I'm going to pour you a $35 Australian Riesling, I would have yeah. – uh, there, exactly. Uh, as Andre put I, I would have just started <laughs> laughing going, no, you're not going to – you're not going to impress me with that, but you did, and yeah. I think that's the impression. Okay, well, that's, no, no, that's great guess, to hear. Now, I guess the, the second part of the question is, uh, I mean, yeah. you're, you're coming from a country that's known for its Shiraz. Uh, who's, yeah. who's buying your Riesling? And, and, I mean, what is the local market like for Riesling, or is it all coming to uh, export yeah. markets? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Riesling, Riesling has always been slightly difficult to sell to the general public in a way. I mean, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blancs are still the, the biggest selling white varieties in this country. Um, Riesling, you know, trickles along behind those two. Uh, and it's been that way for decades. Uh, I think I think at the moment there seems to be a bit more interest in Riesling. I get the feeling that I, you know, you still go into retail shops and they're still full of Chardonnays and Sauvignon Blancs. And unless you're uh, quite you know, in tune with what's happening in the wine world and, uh, you know, willing to understand and to try Rieslings, and it's going to take a little while, which is a shame. And that's why Riesling continues to be one of the great value wines in this country. Um, you know, if you're making a, a Shiraz of that kind of quality with the aging potential that a Riesling has, you know, they can age for 20 years or more, uh, you know, you'd be selling that, that Riesling for $60, $70 a bottle or more. Um, but, you know, it continues to be quite a, a great value wine just because it's, it's slightly undervalued, you know. Um, and so even here in our country, you know, it's still a push. You know, try the Riesling, try the Riesling. Uh, we made some terrible Rieslings, not, not us personally, but generally speaking, there's some awful Rieslings made here in the 70s and 80s. You know, they were sweet. They were mixed with sultanas and who knows what. Uh, and so the raisins you know, that kind of that kind of lingers in the background. Yeah, sort of think raisins and kind of weird things wow. like that. Uh, <laughs> so that kind of lingers in the background of people's memory, you know. And so uh, for them to get a, a crisp raisin that's not just full of sugar and uh, you know, like you said, that kind of really heavy sweetness that's just so you know unappealing and uninteresting. Well, it, it, it um, is. It, it is it, it's always a revelation for them, right? So it continues to be so. It is interesting that you talk about how you know a bad market perception can be a tough thing to shake because I know that we're oh, dealing with that yeah, in, in, in Ontario. But um, mm. I mean, how do you think the market has the market started to come around? Look, I I I get the sense that it is, and particularly locally, um, we've just been pushing. There's been so much. Uh, kind of promotion from the producers here in this area um, really pushing forward the Rieslings that are produced in this region and I think locally people have come to recognize that yes this is one of the great varieties in Canberra region and then beyond that uh, I think generally speaking there's a I think you know people have gotten a just a little bit tired of Sav Blancs and, and looking for something a bit different. And I think this is a great opportunity to, you know, introduce them to Rieslings and, and the greatness that they produce. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, and, you know, but I, I've heard stories of Riesling, res, uh, you know, Renaissance for, for 20 years. And, um, <laughs> Seriously. you know, I'm still kind of waiting for that real big boom, but the reviewers continue to push it. And, 
and sommeliers are, are, you know, they back it as well, but they have a hard time, uh, you know, selling it in restaurants and things. You know, you still get the groups of, of people coming in and, and ordering sub blancs all up, and, and, uh, and the sommeliers are going, so, try some reasoning. You've got some great reasoning here. Well, I mean, it's just <laughs> one anyway. of those things where it's so good with food, especially when you get a, a bone dry oh, absolutely. Riesling, all right, I'm going to get you two off of the Riesling topic because yeah. I think we've been Sorry. 10 minutes on Riesling, for God's sake. Yeah, we could talk Riesling for a I'm sure. Time, yeah. Most people can, but... What what I'm yeah. I'm interested in, uh, David, is that you have been yep. in Australia how long? Uh, I've been here since about ninety three. Because um, you yeah. you referred to it as our country, so you obviously have embraced Australia completely <laughs> here and have said screw you to well, Canada. Is that what you've done here? Yeah. <laughs> oh no 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 no! I would never say that to Canada, my beloved uh, mother country. No, I've I've been overseas, you know, more than I've in Canada now, so I passed that halfway mark, which is, is kind of an interesting milestone. Uh, but I'm, yeah, look, I, I've been in the wine industry since the late 90s um, with Clonakilla. I've worked with them solely here. So I've, you know, I've, I've really seen the growth in this company and just been a part of that, that really amazing story of success that we've had here. But, you know, it's working with the people in this company and it's, it's a family business so it's a very tight-knit little community we've got going here and uh, a real great connection with the land and the place and i think that helps more generally tie me into this country as a whole you know when you're working in a primary producing industry like this is it's agriculture i'm looking out the window right now at the vines uh it's spring here and i'm, I'm watching them as they're they're just getting going and growing slowly and it's just so pretty you know i mean i think that really helps uh with my overall connection to this land um but uh, i certainly you know am, am a canadian as well um so where do, where does one get this Canada, where did you get your start in the wine business was it here in canada or was it is is did no, you start in australia no yeah well it was certainly here in australia i i grew up in waterloo and, and as you guys might well know it's big Mennonite country down there, and those are, are my roots. I, I'm an Anabaptist from you know 400 years back, so it's um, you don't look at, you don't look a day over 398. <laughs> not, not much alcohol or, or that kind of stuff going on in my house. I grew up in, in a dry household, and uh, it wasn't until I moved to Australia that I started drinking. So there you go. I don't know what that says about this country, but anyway. Um, so I was introduced, uh, I just became friends with Tim Kirk, who's the winemaker here, and, and he, he wrote me into helping out on weekends at the cellar door. And I said to him, look, man, I, I don't know anything about wine. He said, no, you'll learn. <laughs> here are a few books and uh, hang out with my dad. His, his father used to drive me out here every week, and so I'd spend a half an hour in the car with him asking lots of stupid questions and uh, slowly learning about you know how things were done, and uh, I also got to, at that point it was very tiny, and so we all kind of pitched into different aspects of the production. You know, I'd be out pruning between customers, or going out and topping up barrels, or you know, spinning some some Chardonnay barrels around to stir on leaves, things like that. So uh, it was very hands-on learning experience, uh, and uh, so one which I really appreciated and uh, have grown into this uh, over the last 20 years. So you probably heard us pour a, a glass of wine. I don't know. It, it, we're talking to you from uh, we're here in Ontario. You're in Australia. Mm -hmm. And it's yep. basically first thing in the morning there. So thank you very much yep. for joining us. Um, Not a problem. I don't know if you I, – I would think that in Australia you could probably drink any time. 
uh, <laughs> throw a few shrimp on the barbie and away you go. Uh, so I don't oh, know if yeah, you that's, have... That's, that's, we, that's all we do here, really. That's, uh, I can imagine. Shrimp. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so uh, we poured a second glass, which is the uh, 2013 uh, SV or Shiraz Viognier. Uh, obviously, yes. less than 5% Viognier goes in there. Um, yeah, yeah, and what what can you tell us about this 13 uh, Shiraz Viognier? Oh, well, look, uh, the 2013 vintage here was one of the extraordinary vintages that we had really up until the 15s, which I poured for you when I visited. Um, the 13 was just a stunning year, uh, producing really one of the best Shiraz Viognier's we made up until that point. Um, Shiraz Viognier, it is made, we, we co-ferment the Viognier with the Shiraz, so that's in the tradition of the Kurt Roti. So you think of the great producers of Gigal up in the Northern Rhone, uh, and that's, that was the inspiration for the style. Um, and we've, we've kept to those traditional methods. Uh, Winemaking, you know, we use natural yeast, we just let it go. You know, it's a, it's a fairly hands-off uh, process. We were really trying to allow the fruits and the landscape to express itself in that wine. And I think, uh, I think we pretty much nailed it uh, over the past 25 years. And, um, well, we're both, we're, we're, both, able... we're both sitting here going, yeah. wow. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. Yeah. We're, we would have we thought that that hilltop Shiraz was probably going to knock our socks off. So when you said yeah. start with that, we were like, eh, I don't, I don't know if David knows what he's talking about. <laughs> well, and it, 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 we're, we're kind of coming around again to you talking about cool climate and yes. you know the, the the cool nights and you know given the fact that for many of the people listening to us, their experience with Australian Shiraz might be more in the general list with uh, you know some more affordable bottles that are a little fruitier, yes. a little yes. bit of a kick to the face, <laughs> a little bit sweet. It's just the yep. elegance that you're getting, but at the same time, it still has this like nice boldness right through the middle of the wine, but at the same time, yep. everything is just restrained and, and elegant and perfectly focused. If, well, I, I hope that makes yeah. sense to whoever's listening to this. And I hope uh, yeah. uh, Henry's putting his two cents worth, your, uh, your yeah. dog in there. Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah. He loves it, too. But he's, <laughs> we put it in his bowl. We thought it would shut him up, but obviously it, it hasn't. Um, but, you know, this one's 14% alcohol, and doesn't yep. like it, it doesn't taste like it. But, I mean, what really no. hit me, first of all, was that was that peppery, and then a floral note, yep. and then there's just so much fruit. There's just so much going on in this wine. It's the kind of wine I think yes. you could spend the evening with and Absolutely. really just yep. enjoy it, uh, yes. and we're yep. going to. So sorry yeah. it's not the well, evening there. Yeah, you've described it perfectly, really. Uh, it's exactly the what I would share with people, and uh, you know, you've know, you really hit all those right notes. Savoriness, there's pepper, the beautiful floral character. Uh, and you know that, I just want to clarify that, that lifted floral note on that wine really is about the Shiraz and uh, often people talk about the Viognier being that floral element in those in those cut roti style blends or you know co-ferments but you know there's something about the Shiraz that we grow here on our property that has a floral component and we make a small batch of 100% Shiraz here that we bottle and sell each year, just a tiny amount, uh, you know, no Viognier component, and it has that same kind of lifted floral thing going on. So I don't know, you know, it just happens to be a bit of a, a blessing for us here that, that we get that kind of floral component. And I think there's another, you know, with that cool climate, we do tend to the aromatic side of things across all varieties as well. And you would have noticed that with the Riesling. There's just there's lovely aromatics to it. Um, 
and even the hilltops has that aromatic thing, but not possibly not as much as say the Murrumbateman or, or our vineyards. So there is that floral component to the Strasbourgne that is always that, that first thing that really kind of just brings you into that wine. And as you said, as you spend time with it, the complexity opens up in the, in the glass. And sometimes you just forget to kind of get to get it in your mouth because it's like uh, there's, there's so much going on on the nose yeah. there, you know. Um, and then that beautiful palate. So the Viognier for us, uh, you know, is really about texture, and it's a very textural variety. Viognier it produces quite a, a smooth and, and almost viscous juice at times. So that's really what we're looking for. It adds that lovely palate weight and finds the tannin of the Shiraz. So you get this just incredible silkiness on the finish and lovely palate smoothness, uh, uh, which even at a young stage, you can just get into that wine. I thought for sure uh, you were going to say we were going to forget that you could forget to eat because I, I could. <laughs> I could, can forget to I eat. could really just, <laughs> well, you know, true. open this up at like five or six o'clock and start drinking. Yeah. And then suddenly yeah. it's eight o'clock. I'm, I'm three sheets <laughs> to the wind and going, uh, oh, wait a second. I think I need some dinner to go with this wine because yeah, that's right. it's it's well, just exactly. that kind of I'm so just, a, yeah. a wine with this sort of complexity is what I would consider to be a good dessert. I'm starting. I mean, I'm starting to get that raspberry note in this wine too. Yes, yes. It's just yeah, really. You're right. There's more of the red berries in this for sure. Yeah, this yeah, is this absolutely. is really complex. It's it's really yeah. wow. Now is this this is the yeah. flag? Is this what you would consider the flagship for Clonakilla? Absolutely, yes. It's, it's the wine that we've, we've built and established our reputation on. Uh, and, uh, yeah. We were the, the Clonakilla was the first one to actually put Viognier on the label with the Shiraz back in, nine, in the early 90s. Uh, at that time, there was like maybe one, there was one other person down in the yard in Victoria, Yara Yaring, that made a Shiraz Viognier. Uh, but he never really talked about the Viognier component, so no one really knew unless they kind of talked to him. Um, but we, were, we thought, oh, we're going to put Viognier on there because we're making a statement that this is something different than what you would expect from an Australian Shiraz. Something different about this. And it just, even that little, you know, putting that name on the front of the label made people kind of stop and go, oh, what's this about? And why is that different, you know? Why is it different than to every Shiraz that we've had in this country? And we want to make a statement. This is not what you would expect. There's something elegant. There's something kind of European-y going on here that's very different than what you might expect. Yeah, it's not exa- not what at all what I would have expected uh, yeah. from a, an Australian uh, Shiraz Viognier. I usually yeah. think of more, yeah. more of the still more of the jammy fruit, lots of the floral. Yeah. But you really have yeah. toned down that jamminess for oh, yeah. an elegance of fruit yeah. not uh not a not a punch of fruit does that, does that make well, sense this is what absolutely this is what our climate gives us and, and we're not trying to fight against it that that cool climate you're never going to get that that pruny jammy situation we just don't have the heat here uh you know in the in the hotter areas of australia the the fruit ripens 24 hours a day it's a whole different thing going on those sugars are just pushing forward acids drop off quite quickly with the sugars ripening we just it, it, we can't do it here so you have to i think as winemakers it's very important to let the landscape speak you know and, and the climate that you have uh you can't fight it i mean you try to fight it and you come up with some very weird stuff right so we just allow you know the place to speak and we we take what it gives us you know um, amen to that we, we, yes yeah. 
Hallelujah. Anyway, so what? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, just the whole idea of terroir and working with what the land gives you yep. is just. I mean, that is, you listen to anyone connected to any winery making great wine, and they will recite what you just said to us word for word. Correct. So now, in here's, fact, a, here's David, a question. David wrote that, for, read that from a book. He's yeah. got it right in front of him right now. <laughs> like, here's a question I'm going to ask. Say, that's page 83 on the uh... <laughs> Winemaker's Handbook. <laughs> I mean, Winemaker's Descriptor Handbook, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm glad that <laughs> these wines make it to the to the LCBO and make it, uh, make it through vintages, and we see them over here, but for a, yes. a small winery like Clonakilla, do you feel like um, you guys are are being flag bearers for helping redefine and, and maybe get people to pay attention to Australian wine in a more serious a serious way? Yeah. Because like I said, the perception in the market, and it's not a negative perception by, by any means, but it's just we have our mindset on what Shiraz is supposed to taste like, and it's not yeah. like yeah. really good, elegant, uh, you know, French-style wines. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this definitely has an Absolutely. Australian sing to it, but uh, it's, it, I mean, it's yeah, a really well, serious, elegant wine. Yep. Look, that's that's uh, one of the great privileges to be able to do some exporting, uh, and particularly into North America, but even in the UK um, and uh, Southeast Asia, different places that we go. But I, I think North America, uh, in particular, um, you know, has been the recipient of, of um, kind of mass-produced Australian wines over the last 20 years, and some of that has kind of altered the perception of. You know what can be done here, um, and I think you know currently there is a bit of uh, a rediscovery or uh, renewed interest in more specific regions from Australia and what that can produce. And I think uh, you know we've just re-entered the American market this year, and uh, look, it, and it's going really well. Just New York State, um, but I, I just they just went through two pallets of the 14 hilltops quite quickly, just in the last kind of eight months, and they've just, you know, had a, a rush order for the next lot to come in, and I'm just organizing that from here, right, it's one of my tasks today to get it off to a, a port. Um, but, you know, there's this new interest in something more specific, more regional, right, and and the story behind it. Um, and so when I, whenever I come to North America, this is my story, I say, this is... Um, this is what can be produced in a cooler area. Yes, we have cooler areas in Australia and um, many regional variations. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to, to kind of educate, uh, you know, the export market as to the variety of styles that Australia can and does produce. So you've talked about varieties. Uh, you grow, obviously, Shiraz, Viognier, and Riesling. What other varieties does yep. Clonacilla do? Well, we do a wide range here. Uh, initially, we planted Sauvignon Blanc and Sennons and Cabernets, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, and Merlot. Back in the early days, the climate was judged to be quite similar to the Bordeaux of all places, uh, although we, we lacked the maritime influence. Um, and and that, that was correct. So there were a lot of those varieties that went in in the early days. But typical of a new world uh, pioneering effort, there were a lot of different varieties planted. We put some Pinot in, we put some Chardonnay, we got some brown musket. Um, do, you, do, you make wine, do you make wines from all of those? We, we do, actually. Yeah, we, we make a, a lovely fortified musket. Uh, we, we're doing a, a small batch of Pinot these days. Uh, we do a, a Cabernet blend. You do a uh, you do a Chardonnay. We do some Chardonnay. That would make actually... Andre very happy. Actually, I want to try yeah. a Pinot. <laughs> a 
Filipino would be and very good very too. Very different especially. style of Chardonnay than you might expect from any, any, uh, from Australia again. It's anytime you style, anytime you want to send that Chardonnay over, Andre will try it. I'll try it with him, and okay. we'll, we'll call you back. All right. Well, I'll bring you a bottle next time I'm in Canada. That'd be excellent. That would be excellent. Okay. <laughs> so how much uh, how much wine do you produce? Look, we're producing at the moment around twenty thousand cases of twelve bottles each uh, a year. So, and that's a we're at a very good. I think that's a, a good amount for us at the moment. Um, it's about what we can handle. And, and where did you start? You said in '71 you 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 got the property. <laughs> you started like like is that like some good growth for you guys, or or have you toned it back? Yeah, oh yeah, fantastic. No, no, no. This is uh, this is the biggest we've produced. Uh, the last three years have have seen the, some of the bigger biggest vintages as far as just pure quantity um, that we've ever had. Due to a few reasons, we, we've planted a bit more in the vineyards over the years, of course, and um, but also the vines have, have been producing uh, very well and, and quality fruit, so that you don't have to leave a lot behind. We've, all the fruit's good, and we've had great uh, yields off all the vines and varieties. But we also bring in a bit of fruit now from different regions, like that hilltops. We've expanded a few of those labels. Uh, so we've got that flexibility to kind of say, okay, well, we'll bring in a little bit more fruit this year, or if we get frosted here, which we, you know, the, the risk is real. Every 10 years, we get wiped out pretty much. We had, back in 2006, we lost 95% of our fruit. Um, you know, so that danger is always there for us, and, uh, you know, that's why we have some and, fruit and, that we can bring in. And that's not, that's just, a, that's just a vintage thing. You don't get totally wiped out where you have to replant everything, correct? No, no, no. That's just yeah. That's just a fruit thing. It doesn't kill the vine, okay. you know. But it, it yeah. So I'm just I'm yeah, just checking on that. Vintage, vintage thing. So yeah, so yeah, you do have sure. some old vines. They just sometimes they don't. Oh, yes. They don't produce. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So so yeah, we've, they, got, they, um, we've got the original vine still here. From okay. Seventy one. So yeah. So so David, um, is what's it like working in the domestic market? I I just not knowing much about um how mm -hmm. it works there, but. Uh, as a family-owned winery, you're competing now with, uh, I guess, Foster's, who owns most of the wineries in Australia, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> how, how does that affect yeah. being a small family-run operation? And I, I wouldn't be surprised if you told me that a larger company has come knocking on your doors, given the quality of the wines looking to, to pick up a label like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I, we haven't had offers yet. I think most people understand, you know, the strengths of what we're doing and uh, given the age of our current CEO and, and chief winemaker Tim, he's just just turning fifty this year. Um, you know, and it's uh, I guess the, the reputation that we have, people have pretty much left us alone as far as kind of acquisition wise. And uh, you know, Treasury Estate, which is the largest uh, wine holding company in this country, and you know, contains Penfolds amongst many other brands. Um, you know, they, that's a whole different world, you know, and it, it's not even a, you know, it's really no kind of competitive thing for us. Uh, we're, you know, we're one of the few wineries that still does all the distribution from our winery direct. Uh, I take care of all sales myself from this little office I'm sitting in today. Wow. How, uh, how, how little of an office? Incredibly rare. <laughs> oh, well, it's a nice, lovely, it's a brand new office. We just built a new space this year, and um uh, but it is, you know, there's only, we're talking eight full-time people here, um, and then the rest are kind of part-time casuals that we use. Um, it's, not a, it's not a huge operation, really. Um, but to, to do all our own distribution is, is a rare business model in, in the wine industry. So, uh, 
you know, people come to us, which is, I don't have to knock on a lot of doors, which is quite a, an amazing situation. Well, to I'm, be I'm in. still sipping on this so, 13 uh, SV, and, <laughs> and I, I could, yeah. uh, I wish you had sent us four or five better, bottles right? of this. <laughs> I'm, and I'm getting ready to yeah. Google flights to Australia so I can come and taste the wines there and get away from the winter here. I'll be sleeping at Andre's yeah. house if we had four or five bottles <laughs> of this, that's for sure. And then Henry would make me well, his best most, friend. Welcome. Welcome to come visit, for sure. You get down here. We'll, uh, we'll show you a good time. Excellent. <laughs> well, David, thank you very much for the uh, the time today. Is it, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I'm, I'm great. I just, I'm still enjoying this wine, and, and Henry's looking yeah. at me like he wants to have some, too. So. <laughs> well, well, but, all right. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying that, and uh, glad you had a taste of the Riesling, which is, is like a rare thing. Da- David, I, I hope to yet. see you next time you're in, and uh, yeah. we'd love to taste with you again and, and talk with you again. Uh, because yeah, sure. you know, being in, being in a cool climate region, obviously like Ontario, we know exactly what you're talking about, and we can see uh, some mm-hmm. similarities with the Rieslings and and especially with the Shiraz Viognier and and the styles of wine that are being made. And it's surprising that it is coming out of out of Australia. And I yeah, can't believe we right. went this whole right. interview without crapping on Yellowtail once. Oops. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well done. Well oh. done, guys. Or the LCBO. But that's another story. Another story altogether. You said it at the beginning. That's all we need to say. I think I need to find a way to get to Australia to taste these wines in person. Uh, as great as they were here, just the fact that it's pretty cold outside the day we're recording this, I think it'd be nicer weather there even in the winter. Do you know what? My sister lives there now, and she phones up, and she says, oh, yeah, it's winter time here. It's like 15 degrees. And I'm like, yeah, that's not winter. <laughs> but they're wearing sweaters. So I don't get it. So if you're listening to this, keep an eye out for the Clonakilla wines on the shelf at the LCBO. It's definitely a big step up from the general list Australian wines that uh, most people might associate with uh, that country's wine growing. I, if they're not, if they're not going to be in vintages, I'm going to assume they're going to probably be in the uh, classics catalog because these are classic wines from uh, from Australia. Either way, something to look forward to. I'm Michael Pincus, the grape guy from MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. And we'll thank you for listening, and good night. Good night. I said it last that time. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.